We are in John chapter 21. We're going to cover verses 1 to 19. Crucial conversation for us. I want to show you uh, part of the preaching schedule that has been posted. It's changed a couple times. Every time we, we have to do an update, we, we modify this. But you can see a chunk in the middle of um, our message series. And I want you to look at, um, by the way, do you know when we started this series? It was May 22nd, 2022. So it's been over a year. And you can see on here, uh, that is 528-23, that is... That one was called the trials, John 18, 1 through uh, 19, 16. It's not uh, correct up there, but it's 18, 1 through 19, 16. Uh, <clears throat> and then today, you'll see that. So there's been some time since we've had the talk with the one about the trials. We had the, the prayer, the arrest, the trials, the cross, which... We had a guest speaker for that, the tomb, and blessed are those who believe without seeing. John's purpose, our confidence last week and today, John 21, 1 to 19, crucial conversation for us. So I would like to, what we'll do is we'll back up to that May section. Now there's going to be several other passages other than our text this morning, so we're going to be all over the place. But I do want to back up in John chapter 18, verses 12 and following, and you can follow along. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. First of all, number one, you see it come up behind me, that is his first denial that had been predicted by Jesus. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows, so before morning. But John gives us some information here that the other Gospels don't really um, emphasize as much. And he mentions this charcoal fire. You see that up behind me. It specifically says charcoal fire. And it's an interesting thing when you're reading Scripture. Usually when you're given a story with details, you should probably pay attention to the details because there's a reason. Why did John inspired by God, put charcoal fire specifically. We'll move on in that text. 
The high priest then questioned Jesus about the disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And that's because the second denial and the third denial all happened here. But pay careful attention. Peter was warming himself at a coal fire each time he was warming himself over the coal fires that he did these three denials. Why does that even matter? Why why does God inspire John to emphasize that Peter denied Jesus three times standing over a coal fire? Well, one thing might be significant, and that is that when you're warming yourself over coals, even if it is dark and it was dark, you are well lit. So if you're one standing close to the fire, you're visible, which would then make sense why people were starting to recognize him because he's standing right by the fire. Aren't you one of his disciples? Three times he was asked and three, not, three times he denied. So you've got the image up behind me. You can kind of imagine what that's looking like is he's being accused of being a follower of Jesus and he denies it. You'll understand a little bit further as we get into our text. John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, after what we went over last week, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Continues in our text, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. If it doesn't remind you of another similar incident, it should. Now think for a moment. If you're fishing with nets on one side of your boat, 
there's a good chance that that net is pretty much covering the underside of the boat, right? And that, that side and some under. How big a difference is it gonna make when you cast it on the other side of the boat? It shouldn't really make a big difference. You're, you're still in the same area. But they listened because they were desperate. They didn't know it was Jesus, but then they caught this massive amount. This should remind you of Luke's account of Jesus calling his first disciples. He gives a little bit of more information than the others do. So check it out, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 and following. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, he enclosed, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is when Jesus is calling his first disciples, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. You think this is impressive? I'm going to make you fishers of men. So it's a pretty cool story, but it's very similar. On, in our story, Jesus is yelling from the shore, and they don't know it's him. Put your nets on the other side. And they do, and they catch so much, they can't get it into the boat. And when they were first called, in fact, they were in Peter's boat that first time and this time. They're in the same area. And this time, it's very similar to that first time. The first time he said, cast your nets a little deeper and they couldn't get it into the boat. The nets were tearing, so they had to call for another boat. Same kind of situation. This is impressive. So it's no wonder uh, what will happen next in our text. But before we get there, we have another thing we need to look at. Here's a chart again. This takes us back to a year ago, almost a full year ago. You can see a, a list of behind me, but pay careful attention specifically to 9-18-2022, John 6, 15-21. If you'll remember, I asked a trivia question a while back, and I gave you the answer. Some of you actually remember it because it sticks in your head. What's the saddest verse, in my opinion, of course, the saddest verse in the Bible? Do you remember? John 6, 66. That's when many turned away from him and left him. And that's right after the feeding of the 5,000, and you remember, that's actually just the men. So you count women and children, and it's at least 15,000. After he fed them, then if you'll remember, he, he got, tried to get away 
and you know, off by himself, and then the crowds followed. And most scholars believe that the largest crowd that he would ever have is what he had next. And instead of telling the people what they wanted to hear or what you would tell people to get crowds to return, he instead told them what they needed to hear and they didn't understand it. He spoke to them about things that were beyond many of their comprehension, but it seemed like it was a test of loyalty because almost everyone left. And then he turns to his disciples and said, y'all want to leave me too? And Peter spoke up and said, you're the Lord. Where would we go? Who would we follow? You know, that kind of a thing. But I want to remind you that there is something that happened in between the feeding of those 15,000 plus and when he spoke to the largest crowd he would likely ever have here on earth as, as he was physically in the form of a man, something happened in between that I don't want you to pass over because it, it matters today. And that's from John 6, 15 to 21. Beyond the surface, there is more to the story of Jesus walking on water. There is more. So let's go ahead and look at John chapter 6, verses 16 And we'll go to verse 19. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. I just want to deviate from John because Matthew gives us more. And this is more than we discussed before because John didn't give us this. So Matthew gives us more. What happens next is not in John, but it matters. So we look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 and following. And Peter answered him, "If it is you, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And of course, he and Peter got in the boat and the storm calmed. John didn't give us all that. John gave us Jesus walked on the water. He didn't even mention that Peter did. Peter did too. And Peter got in trouble. Jesus did this thing with Peter on a regular basis. He got on to Peter. There was one time, remember, he said, get behind me, Satan. Remember that? Peter was getting in trouble all the time. He's going, he's the most unlikely of all the disciples, you'd think, of of all of them that Jesus was going to use. Peter put his foot in in his mouth a lot. Why would you use that guy to speak for you and your church? Because he likes to talk. We can work on some things, but I'm going to use that. So that's what he did. He chose to use Peter. Why would you use a guy who keeps rushing ahead and rushes ahead? It's all right. We'll train him. We'll get him, we'll get him fixed, and then he'll, he'll be fine. Peter was always getting in trouble, and he got in trouble when he walked on water. Why did you not have enough faith? You were doing it, and then you lost faith. You focused on the problems, 
instead of the possibilities. You've, I could have kept you walking on the water. We could have danced on the water. I don't know. But Peter lost faith and he sunk and he got in trouble in front of everybody. It had to be embarrassing. I mean, it was kind of cool. I mean, if I were Peter, I'd probably be getting in the boat soaking wet and cold and like, you guys see that? I walked on the water too for, for a minute. It was just for a few seconds, you know, but I did. I did that. Jesus had me do that. I just, maybe that's why John didn't have it in there. I know God inspired him, but maybe John was irritated with, with Peter's arrogance. I don't know. Now back in our text. John chapter 21, verse 7 is where we pick up. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the author, said to Peter, it's the Lord. This is after he got him to catch all the fish that they realized when the fish, they couldn't get him in the boat. The nets were so, ah, this happened before. I remember. That's the Lord because he did this before. Remember? He says, the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped Oh, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Now, there's a several things to pay attention to here. For one thing, a similar thing had just recently happened when the disciples were told that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. Peter gets up and runs. John lags behind and passes Peter up. Peter gets to the tomb, or John gets to the tomb first, bows down in reverence, and Peter just goes on in without thinking. Ran right ahead of John. John kind of could tell something special going on here. And Peter just went on in. And here... John recognizes this is the Lord. It has to be. We've done this before. We've been through this before. This has got to be the Lord. And then Peter puts some clothes on and jumps in the water. Once again, just rushing on ahead. But think about this. If you're going to go for a swim and you've got a lot of your clothes already off because you've been working and you don't want to sweat a lot, but if you're about to jump in for a swim to swim a hundred yards, do you pile on more clothes? No. It's my strong opinion that Peter thought he was going to walk on water again. He thought, I'm going to have faith this time. Watch this. And he sunk. And a reasonable person would typically, uh, a person who's not too proud would typically just get back in the boat. Whoops, I guess not this time. <laughs> Thought I was going to walk on the water again. I was wrong. He didn't do that. What did he do? He kept swimming like, I meant to do that. I'm just going to swim. I just wanted to swim with all my clothes on. I wanted to pile my extra clothes on and make it hard for me and swim ahead of the boat. Yeah, you guys keep rowing. I'm just going to keep on swimming. I don't think he thought he was going to sink. I think he thought he was going to walk on the water, but he sunk. But by the providence of God... It set everything up for what's going to happen next. He's the only one that's soaking wet. Keep that in mind. So we pick up with verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place 
with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard. So he had to get on the boat in order to untie the nets and haul the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Why does John have to tell us how many? And why does he have to tell us that there were, that's a lot of fish. The net should have tore. Why does he do that? Well, it's a miraculous. Just focus on the fact that it's a miraculous amount of fish. It gives us another little bit of a description of John as well. John had to be a big guy. We already kind of knew this because he was ready to take on all of the armed people in the Garden of Gethsemane. And instead of Jesus going, don't hurt him, he, t- he told Peter, no. <laughs> He's like, don't hurt them. Peter must have been a big guy. He also was slower because remember, when, he, when the disciples were told the body is not in the tomb, John, Peter takes off first and John takes off after him and John passes him up quite a ways because he ultimately ends up kneeling and stopping and waiting before Peter finally gets there. So it, it indicates that Peter was a big guy. And on top of that, even if these 180 plus fish, these 100, or I'm sorry, 153 fish, even if they were only a pound apiece, that's a lot of weight for one person to carry. And it, and it probably was more than that because the nets should have broken. It was too much for the nets. But Peter, by himself, grabbed them. He's eager. Eager Peter. (laughs) That's him. But the thing we should pay attention to more than anything here, I think, is charcoal fire. Did you catch that? Well, wait a minute. Why did John think it was necessary earlier to tell us about the charcoal fire. That Peter was standing there all three times in front of a charcoal fire. And yet now, here is a charcoal fire. What's the connection? And why why was it necessary that Peter would get soaking wet and nobody else would? Because he's going to be the one that needs to be closest to the charcoal fire. Yeah, they're all going to sit around it, but he's going to get close because he's cold. And if he's going to get close, he's more visible than everybody else. In fact, he's got more attention than everybody else, which he liked attention. Because he's wet and nobody else is wet. He's the only one that's getting goosebumps every now and then. He's the only one that really needs that coal fire. I don't want you to pass over another thing that's in this particular narrative. There were, Jesus was fixing food. They, they're there to eat food. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. 
Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Hmm. This is the third time he's appeared to his disciples. And Peter denied him three times. Okay. I'm going to tell you about another thing. There are three main Greek words for love. Three. Don't forget that. First of all, agape, and that's uh, godly love or unfailing love. And then there's phileo, brotherly love. And then the third one is er eros, which is sensual love. We're going to focus on these two, the first of the three, because this is significant. And what, I'm, what I've done to make it a little bit easier, and I realize I've already preached on this text. I did it quite a while back, but I wanted to just make it easier for everybody because here's a problem. How many in here have a Greek New Testament with you right now? See, see, you can't do what, I'm at, what I would ask you to do, so I couldn't really help you otherwise. So I'm going to go ahead and make it easier. In this particular, the next couple of slides, I'm going to go ahead and put the Greek word transliterated in English so we'll know how to say it. It'll be, you'll see those two words, agape and phileo, they will show up on the screen instead of the word love, because in your Bibles, it just says love. But in the original Greek it uses a different word in here. So I want you to pay careful attention. So you'll, you'll kind of get a feel for what the Greek actually does. I'm not making this up. You can check it out for yourself. And if you don't know how, I'll be glad to help you learn how to do that. But John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Now, first of all, the very first line, when they had finished breakfast, let me ask you a question. The word, the pronoun, we're really into pronouns these days, but let's just go ahead and stick with the rules. They, the word they, who does that apply to? Would that apply to the disciples? Would it, yes, it would apply also to Jesus and the disciples. They, they, those people that were there when they had finished breakfast. So there's another bit of evidence that Jesus was physically in front of them. This is not a spirit of Jesus. This is Jesus physically in front of them. He, he prepared a physical coal fire. He had already had fish on the fire and bread all physical things. And then on top of that, they consumed physical food, including Jesus. Jesus physically rose from the dead. He's physically appearing to them. Don't get confused. This is not his spiritual body. This is a physical Jesus. But he starts, now understand he's got the disciples there. And he, instead of just Small talk, and there probably was some small talk. At some point in time, 
in this intimate moment, he addresses Peter. Simon, son of John, do you agape me? More than these? Why would he say it that way? More than these. Because you're the one that jumped out of the boat and swam ahead of everybody else. You're the one went and got the fish when I asked to get to bring me some of the fish. You went and got all of them. You're the one. You're the one that's closest to the fire right now. You're the one. You're the one that said you would never deny me. You think he's remembering the other times he was over a coal fire when Jesus asked this question? Of course he is. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I fell at all you, which is an interesting thing. If you want to go ahead and give a, a translation of the Greek, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me in, an, in a godly way more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. What is that? What does that mean? Feed my lambs. Well, he's going to become the main mouthpiece. He's going to become the, the one who seems to carry the baton when Jesus ascends to heaven. He's going to be the leader of the disciples. But he just put him on the spot in front of everybody. And this is the first opportunity Jesus has to confess that he does know Jesus. And he loves Jesus. One. Okay. We go to the next chunk. John chapter 21, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I fellow you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Once again, it's the same thing. He says, do you love me in a godly way? He said to him, yes, Lord, I, you know that I love you like a brother. Tend my sheep. It's almost like he's saying, prove it. You've got some responsibilities. Do you love me in a godly way? Yes, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Tend my sheep. And you can understand, you might want to just think for a moment, because we're only given what we need to know. But guys sitting around a fire, if you know anything about guys sitting around a fire, they're poking at it, they're putting more on it, you know. That's what they do. They just don't watch the fire. We mess with it. Guys like to play with fire. Most people do. So they're probably doing that, and there's probably some pauses in between all of this. It's probably not just happening one thing after another. Each time, Peter's on the spot. And each time, the other disciples are probably thinking, ooh, ouch, Jesus really being hard on Peter. I mean, the first time, maybe they're all thinking, he deserves this. <laughs> he deserves it. He thinks he's a hot shot. Peter, Jesus putting him in his place. Do you love me? In a godly way, I love you like a brother. Because he said first, remember, do you love me more than these? And all the rest are probably thinking, yeah, Peter, yeah, you act like it. The second time, some, some are probably thinking, wow, oh, Jesus, you're being kind of hard on him. 
At least I would be thinking that. This is the second time Peter's been able to say, yes, Lord, I I love you. I love you like a brother. And then after a little bit of another pause, while everybody is feeling a little awkward, because he, Jesus just, you know, the one that's most visible, the one that's closest to the fire, Jesus just put on blast. Now we get to verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you philo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you philo me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I philo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why is it on this third time did Peter get grieved? Why does it why did why did God inspire John to purposely write this grieved him? This is like in a death. This is an, an, an overwhelming feeling of sadness. Why would he have an overwhelming feeling of sadness? This was the third time Jesus Peter was able to say, I love you, Lord. So he denied him three times. Now he's confessed him three times. But it was very hard to do because he's been put on the spot. Why, did he, why was he so grieved when Jesus asked him that third time? Pay careful attention to what you see up behind me. Remember, if I were Jesus and I was dealing with somebody like Peter, and I can relate to Peter, I've told you that. But if I were Jesus, and I've got this guy that I said, do you agape me twice? And each time he goes, I fill it all you. It's not what I asked you, Peter. I would be, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, Peter, you're using the wrong word. I chose a better word. You're choosing a different word. I asked you, do you agape? You say, I fill it all. Would you pay attention? Come on, get it together, Peter. I'm trying to help you out. I would have done that. That's not what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus went down to Peter's level. Okay, fine. Fine, Peter. All right. Do you love me like you say you do? Ouch. No wonder that hurt. Okay, fine. I mean, Peter's acting like, I love you like a brother. Like it's a better word. It's not a better word. That's fine. You think this is a big word that encompasses greater things? Okay, fine. Do you love me like that? Do you? That's why he was grieved. And everybody had to see that on his face. You know, this, the face, the man that said, I would never deny you. They're going to take you and kill you. I'll never let that happen. That guy denied him three times. And now he's back to saying, Lord, I love you. Does he mean it? Jesus puts him on the spot. Do you love me like I say, like you say you do? Do you? There may be more here than we know. Each time that he said, feed my lambs, tend to my lambs, feed my sheep. Each time he said this. Did Peter get up and serve the others physical food? It makes sense that he might and sat back down. And Jesus asked at that final time, okay, fine, Peter. Do do you love me like you say you do? 
after I've got up and served everybody, I brought the fish, I got in the water and swam ahead of the boat, does it not look like I love you? You know, when he says, do you love me like you say you do, that had to hurt. But he had to go through it. I mean, here he was thinking very much on the surface. Okay, last time, last time I walked on the water, I'm doing it again. And he saw, what, what? I guess not this time. Peter, Jesus wants you to focus on something. Don't just say you love me. Show it. You failed three times. You had a great opportunity and you failed three times. I told you you were going to do it and you did it. But I love you, Peter. And I'm going to pull you back in. And that's what he's doing. He's throwing out his net and grabbing that rogue person that's going to become the leader of the church. I would imagine there was a long period of silence after that third time. And then Jesus said in verse 18 and following, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You know, I'm pretty sure Peter got that. Jesus died on the cross. And while he was going through the trials, Peter was denying that he even knew him. Afraid that they were going to try to kill him too. And now Jesus says to Peter, you're going to be taken somewhere you don't want to go. You're afraid of being killed because you're connected to me. I was killed. Follow me. Peter is going to have to go through a, a horrible thing, standing for Jesus and dying for Jesus. And Jesus tells him, if you love me, this is what's going to happen. That's heavy. It's very, very heavy. <clears throat> okay. So crucial things, this title of message, remember crucial conversation for us. Sometimes things happen in threes. Maybe you've heard that. Things come in threes. You've heard that. You know, like in baseball, you get three strikes and you're out. Yeah, I can, I can never really get a lot of strikes in bowling, but I could get them in baseball. <laughs> they, people think things come in threes. You know, they come in, things come in threes. That's, a, that's an interesting thing. Sometimes they do. I mean, they did here in our story. There was several threes. I don't know if you noticed. Several times there were three this and three that. But the second thing I want to bring to your attention is sometimes things do not happen in threes. As a Christian, you should not be superstitious. <laughs> because sometimes things come in other numbers, like the days of creation. The number of children. Some people have threes, but some don't. You know, things don't always come in threes. The number of points that the preacher has on a given Sunday morning is not always three. Not today. And there were three Greek words, but we only saw two. They don't always come in threes. And it can be very discouraging to people if 
somebody tells you, you know, man, I've been going through a lot, and they tell you this heavy thing right here, like, whew, that's heavy. And then on top of that, at the same time, this other heavy thing's happened. Whoa, that's a lot. Don't tell them things come in threes. I mean, how would that be encouraging? You got another big bad thing's going to be piled on top of your troubles. Don't tell them that. It's not always true. It's just sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. The third thing, Jesus knows what is beyond the surface. And that is very well illustrated when he tells them, put your nets a little deeper. Lord, we've been trying this all night. We are fishermen. We do this. But because it's you, I'll do it. And then they catch so much that the nets begin to tear. They can't get in the boat. They have to call for another boat. He knew Jesus knows what is beyond the surface. And then the second time, you know, uh, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Then they catch so many, they couldn't get the fish in the boat. 153. A lot of fish. But the nets didn't break. It was a miraculous catch. Jesus knows what's beyond the surface. And that's the same thing when it comes to us. He knows what makes Peter tick. And Peter needed to go through this so he would check himself and become the man he needed to be. Jesus knows what makes you tick. He knows what gets to you. He knows what can grieve you. He knows what can get you choked up. He knows those things. And he will use those things to get you to check yourself so you can become the person of God he has called you to be. And it might be hard. It might happen in front of other people. You might get embarrassed. But it might be what you have to go through to become the person you need to be. He knows what's beyond the surface. You might put on this face that everything's okay when inside it's not. Jesus knows. Fourth, scary things can increase our faith lest we sink. Peter was afraid of the storm, the winds, the consequences of the winds. It's very scary to him. And if he had just focused on Jesus and had faith, he wouldn't have sunk. So let scary things increase your faith. The fifth thing, Jesus does use reminders to lead us to repentance. Three times he addressed Peter over those coal fires. While Jesus is, I'm sure Peter is remembering three times in front of a coal fire just like this. I blew it. He reminded Peter each time he asked him, and especially after the third time, three times I denied him. How can that be denied? And Jesus will use reminders to you. And you should pay a careful attention to when those reminders come, when you are put in your place, when you are, when things come to mind, maybe some people bring them up and maybe it's not, maybe it feels like they're being mean. Maybe you should just check yourself and realize you're completely dependent on the grace of God. Use those reminders. 
so that you can be brought to repentance. Sixth thing, if we dare lead for Jesus, we should expect similar treatment. Don't forget John 15. If you'll remember in John 15, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And the seventh thing, Jesus will meet us where we are, where we are to bring us closer to him. Jesus will meet us where we are to bring us closer to him. So if you are here this morning and you've been deviating, you've been moving away from Jesus, if you're here this morning and you can remember a time, you, just, you think back on it, you think, you know, that was a time when I was, I was praying every day and I was reading my Bible every day and I was journaling and I, was, I, was, I felt like I was on top of the world spiritually. Why is that a past memory? Why is that a past thing? If that's how you think today, that means you're not where you're supposed to be today. It means you once were closer to him than you are now. That's not okay. There was Peter thinking that he had a better word. Yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. After Jesus asked him twice, do you love me in a godly way? I love you like a brother. I didn't ask you that. Instead of getting mad at him, he went down to his level. He met him where he was and said, do you love me like you say you do? Here, let's try this real quick. I, I don't do this very often, but I want you to do it with me if you feel like it. If you feel like saying to Jesus, and what you mean is what he wants you to mean, whether it's agape or philos, he can meet you where you are. Uh, if you love him, I want you to say, I love you with me to Jesus. I mean, we're going to say it like this. We're going to say, I love you, Jesus. Okay, you ready for this? You're going to say it with me. One, two, three. I love you, Jesus. Okay, and I know it can sound very stoic and it can sound like we're doing uh, uh, responsive readings, which some of you know what that is in churches. But you, those of you who said it, you said it. And I know that when you said it, you, you meant to say it and you weren't just insulted that the preacher's asking you to repeat it with him. You really want Jesus to know that you love him. Uh, I'm going to presume the best in everyone here. Now that you said that, I dare you to ask Jesus. I dare you to say it more, say it in your prayers. And then after you say, I love you, Jesus, I dare you to ask, can you tell? Because that's what Jesus was doing when he went to Peter's level and he said, okay, fine. Do you love me like you say you do? So I say to you, do you love him like you say you do? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for doing your thing in having crucial conversations with us as we read your word, as we apply it to our lives. Forgive us, Lord, when we simply mouth the words and don't show you with our daily lives. We do want to show you. So help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.